listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to the book of Proverbs. Is What we're doing all through the summer is our Pursuit of Wisdom series. And this is a series for the month of June. We're walking through Proverbs. And then in July, we will look at a several Psalms. And so we began three weeks ago with the idea of wisdom in our words. And this is what we, we saw, is that our tongues, our words, hold in them the power of life and death. And our thought was this, is that we can communicate to whoever it is in our home or workplace, that we can use our words and plant them as seeds that that grow life, or we can fire them as bullets. Then last week, we talked about laziness, and laziness may appear attractive, but it's work that really brings satisfaction. And you know, when I started studying laziness, I was worried that it would be a sermon that really wouldn't apply to a lot of people. Because I know many of you know many of you well, and I said last week, man, you're not a lazy group of people. I know that. But as we got into that lesson of the ants, we saw really how relatable the idea of, hey, we're all sluggards, and our need to be rescued from that. Well, today, our topic is self-control. And I have to be honest It is convicting to stand up and preach a message on self-control in front of your family that has seen you act as if you have no idea what self-control even is. I'm telling you, it's convicting. I feel like such a hypocrite this morning because self-control is being able to do the right thing when it needs to be done. Or I love the way Tim Keller puts it, that self-control is the ability to recognize And choose the important thing over the urgent thing. And what we're going to do, we're going to kind of unpack that thought this morning. That self-control is being able to choose the important thing over the urgent thing. And so this morning is going to be a little different. It's going to feel a little bit more like a journey. It's going to kind of take us a while. But I, I promise you, I believe it will lead somewhere. Because typically... This is how we, or this is how I can at self-control. Typically, it might be with one of our children. Now, so you better get some self-control or, and man, I've got a list of things. You know, there's a top ten. You're going to go to your room. I may spank you or you're going to lose a privilege. may take your phone away. You're not going to get to go to this party. If you don't get some self-control, then something bad's about to happen to you. And I think typically... That's how we try to achieve it is by fear and and loss of reward or maybe even manipulation. But we know in the long run, as many times as we tried, that doesn't work. That's not teaching self-control at all. all. It's just behavior modification. Because when you look at the scriptures, that's not all how God trains us or even how he expects us to live self-controlled lives. It's not fear, it's not manipulation, it's not even loss of reward. 
So this morning, I want us to see how God expects us to have self-control. So let's see how God gives us the ability to even be the possibility of self-control. So this morning, we're going to look at three different Proverbs, but we're going to jump to the New Testament and look at a passage in Titus that will build a bridge for us in the truth of this. Self-control, self-control is actually found in what we love. That's actually where self-control comes from. It's not from fear. It's in what we love. So today I want to talk about three things. We'll unpack these. One, we're going to look at the problem. What is our problem of self-control? We'll see in Proverbs 23 and in 25. Then we'll see the foundation. What is the foundation for self-control? What do you build upon? Then last, we'll see well, how, it all, how do we apply this? How do we live self-controlled lives? And we'll look at the uh, book of Titus. So the first one, our problem of self-control. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Proverbs 23. I'll turn there with you. If you can find Psalms, you're usually close by. Just turn to your right a little bit. Psalm 23. We'll begin in verse 19. Going to start off with this, and uh, it'll, it'll start off really straightforward. This is how it reads. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or, or, or those that eat too much, eaters of meat, those gluttonous ones. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber, it's going to clothe them with rags. So our very first proverb, very straightforward and easy to understand. He's talking about someone that has eaten too much or they've drank too much and it makes them drowsy. In fact, he says if you eat or you drink too much, it's what happens. It prohibits you from being able to do anything else but sleep. It just comes over you and it clothes you. It's like this. We all know what it is. It's called Thanksgiving, you know. Happens every year, at least it does for us. There's the call to arms. Everybody gathers. There's a prayer said. And then the consuming begins. And you hear the clank and the clatter of everything going on. Then slowly, one by one, you begin to hear chairs pushed away from the table. People rub their bellies and moan. And then, somebody, you go and find a place somewhere. And then soon the snoring begins to happen. And that's kind of what he is talking about here, is that this idea that in a few moments we're overtaken by sleep. But notice that last phrase. He's in referencing rags and to being poor. What it means to be clothed is that means that's your identity. Tells us to put on the righteousness of Christ, that that is to be our identity. But here, it is someone that not just at Thanksgiving, or or maybe not just at Father's Day, but it has become such a habit. It is who they are, that they eat or they drink too much, and their lives are characterized by drowsiness. And what he is saying is that this, that their lives are consumed by eating too much or drinking too much, and as a result, they cannot focus on the important things of life. And I'll really remember, I'll never forget, seeing this firsthand. Marla and I have been married 
probably around eight years, maybe nine, uh, Kylie was little. And I moved from northwest Arkansas. My best friend growing up, we called him George III. It was George McRoy III. Uh, George and I, we got in a lot of trouble. We always did, but we grew up together. I remember going back to Ozark, Arkansas. I was asked to speak at a church there. And I remember, man, one of the things on my list was I have to go see George. Man, we hadn't seen each other in probably about seven years. Um, called his grandmother, and she said, Mark, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't think you're prepared for this. And I said, oh, Miss Eugene, no, it'll be fine. You know me, and I, I've spent more time at your house than I probably did at my own. And she said, well, he's at his old house. You can go and see him. Well, what I really didn't know, because this was before social media, where you could really keep up with people, is that, George had become consumed with alcohol. I remember going into the, they said, man, you better try to get a hold of him because there's no telling what he might do if he doesn't recognize you. And so the good news is he did, but as soon as I walked in, he went and hid his, his bottle and sat there with him, and his life was characterized by failed jobs, failed marriage, failed in his family life. And he's sitting there talking to a friend he hadn't seen in seven years, and his, his eyes keep going back to the kitchen, and he's just shaking. And I remember finally just saying, George, go get the bottle. It, it, it's okay, because he could not even function. He could not even sit and carry on a conversation with me. But you know, the truth is, it's not just eating or drinking too much that can prevent us from focusing on the important things. Because when... The problem with self-control is that when we lack self-control, we cannot focus on the important things, the things that really matter, like managing our money, leading our children, loving our spouses, maintaining healthy relationships, investing in the lives of those around us. But it's not just those things. It can be anything that can begin to control our lives. And so many times, then things are so out of control. But it's not just those two. It could be anything. It could be our need for success, power, the praise of others, our love of sleep or laziness we saw last week, or always having to be right. And so our problem is that this idea of self-control, it's when we can't focus on the important things because we get consumed with what we think are the urgent things. So let me show you another word picture. Turn to Proverbs 25. He's going to kind of go from the specific to the broad. Proverbs 25, verse 28. This is how he describes a man without self-control. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So this is simply talking about a person that that doesn't have self-control. But self-control over what? Well, this phrase literally means a person who cannot control his spirit. And it's the idea you can't control your emotions, your longings, your, your desires. And he says this person that can't do that, it's like a city without walls. But I know that probably doesn't resonate with us real easily. Because, I mean, I could think of you know, the Berlin Wall or the Great Wall of China. But do you remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah was a Jew that was sent into exile in Babylon. And 
he, he sends word, and he's trying to, as people are coming, he's like, tell me about Jerusalem. Tell me what's happening. Listen to what they told him in Nehemiah 1. And they said to me, the remnant there in the providence who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem, it's broken down, and its gate is destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So why would Nehemiah sit down and weep and mourn for days because of a wall? You see, a wall, it meant everything. It kept the good things in and It kept the bad things out. But at the top of the list of what a wall meant, it meant security. You think about a city, if it had a wall, you would know there's economy. Because the people there, if you didn't have walls, people could come in and raid and take what they wanted. But walls, it gave people security to buy and to sell. If a city had walls, it had a judicial system. Outside the walls, distributes were settled with just bloodbaths. But inside the walls, you had security. Then a dispute could be settled in a court of law. Without a wall, civilization, it fell apart. Everybody was just scrambling and surviving. Without walls, there's just chaos. And every person just lived for themselves. Without walls, your lives would begin to fall apart. So here's why this is so important. If anything, even good things become the main way that we deal with life. The desire for it, it's actually become uh, disproportional. Another way of saying it would be this. It's taking a good thing and we make it a God thing. And when this happens with anything, food, wine, the praise of others, always being in charge always needing to be right, success, it causes us to not be able to focus on the important things of life and our lives are going to fall apart. Meaning, if anything, if any passion, any longing, any desire, if it becomes more than it should, man, the things become out of control. It gets disproportionate, and what can happen then, it then begins to push out the important things of our lives, and then our lives fall apart. Because remember, self-control, it's ability to do the right thing when it needs to be done, but it's also being able to recognize and to choose the important thing over an urgent thing. Let me show you how this can kind of play out, the thought of a man or a woman Without self-control, it's like a city without walls. You know, we have passions and we have desires. And when they're not properly ordered, it's what Solomon is saying, is that you then can't focus on the important things because urgent things become what you're most consumed with. So take managing our money. You know this. You don't go to the grocery store hungry. You know, you know this because you go to the grocery store hungry and the urgent is that I need to eat. And so then you begin buying up everything else. And what happens is we're focusing on the urgent 
instead of the important thing of actually managing our money. Because the urgent thing is, my belly needs food. Or talk about our tongues. If your tongue is out of control and you lash out, you know what we're really doing? We're really ruining the relationship. We're firing bullets. But it's more urgent to be heard, to feel justified, or to be right. And so what happens is it becomes more important to do those things than to focus and to build the relationship. And if you do that long enough, your life will be out of control. Sexual desires. If we give in to the urgent of fulfilling some desire, we lose sight of the more important things, like the integrity of our eyes and our marriage vows. Or let's talk about time management. I want to tell you a true story. promise you this happened. And as truthfully as I could remember, I wrote it down. One day I needed to go work on a paper. Paper due at school. I blocked off my whole morning schoolwork. I even went a step further. I went and found the quietest place that I knew. I went to UT Tyler Library to the second floor on the far end into a little cubicle. Made sure I had everything I needed. I had my pens. My computer was charged. I had my thermos of coffee. I was ready to go. Set everything down. It was quiet. Went to the bathroom. Made all the preparations. And as I sat down, I thought, you know what? Just, just before I do this, you know, I haven't checked my email in, I don't know, 30 minutes. So I need to do that. And then, man, then I'll be ready. So I opened up my email, began scrolling through there. And I noticed an email from a friend of mine that was posting about kind of a blog he had written. I thought, man, I hadn't thought about this guy in a while. Oh, man, the title's kind of interesting, so I started reading that blog. Man, I thought, man, that is great. Man, there are some great nuggets here, some, some truth that people, they need to hear this. So I opened up Twitter. And I copied that, and I posted it because I thought, this is going to help people. They, they need to see this. And then after I was on Twitter for a minute, I got to think, you know what? I haven't checked in on Facebook in a while. You know what? I'm sure there's some things that I've missed out on, and I don't want to be left in the dark. So I opened up Facebook, and I began stalking around there for a while. And then, yes, of course, I want to take a quiz and know what Star Wars character I most relate to. And, of course, it was Han Solo. I I knew that. But then I saw a friend of mine, hey, He was Yoda. That thought made me think, oh, you know what? Him and I have a words with friends game, and it's my turn. And you know what? I don't want to be that loser that's leaving all these games undone, and then people just leave the game. I wanted to keep my percentage high, so I opened up words with friends. And three hours later, I still haven't even started my paper. Self-control, it's the ability to do the right thing when it needs to be done. But it's also the ability to choose to do the important thing over what we might think is the urgent thing. So the problem is, oftentimes we don't have self-control. Or if we do, we don't have enough. So where, where, do, we, where do we go? Where, where do we get? Where do we mine for this, this gem of self-control? So let's look at the foundation. What do, we, what do we set it upon? It's found in Proverbs 18. At least that's where we could begin. Proverbs 18, verse 10. 
It says, the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord, it's a strong, it is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and it's safe. Now, this would also have been a very useful word picture for people because people understood the importance of a city to have walls. They knew the importance that a wall, it meant, it meant security, it meant stability. It meant a well-balanced and kind of ordered life. But a tower, it's also a picture of security. If the city is under siege and there was a breach in the wall, you would run to the tower for safety. But now look at verse 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man, he runs into it. But verse 11, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall in his, notice it, imagination. So notice what the rich man's security is in. It's in his wealth. And when there is an attack, when, when the wall is breached, this man runs to his wealth. But a righteous man runs into the name of the Lord. But I have to go, what does that mean? What does it mean to run into the name of the Lord? Well, first of all, he's showing us that everybody, everybody has a wall Everyone has a tower. Everyone has a safe place of ultimate security. Something we look at and we say, man, if I had that, if I just had that, then, then my life, then it would be okay. Then, oh, if I had that, then I would be safe. Oh, then everything, it would be okay. But the problem is, it comes in when we go to that imaginary high tower something you think is going to bring you security, but it can't. And that's the picture of this rich man. His high tower, his wall is in the security. When, when trouble comes, he runs to his wealth, and then he realizes it's only an imagination. So we need to realize that anything, anything besides God that we look at to be our ultimate security, it only creates, we could say, patterns of addiction, or we might say patterns of self-destruction because we are going to run somewhere. Anything we run to as our high tower, our money, our career, our children, praise of others, a spouse, anything we look at to be our ultimate security rather than God or more than Him, it creates a pattern of self-destruction because we're going to run somewhere. This past week, I was watching an interview with a, about a young man named Bruno Mars. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl, you saw him. And he was raised in Hawaii, you know, that pitiful place that he had to grow up. And he grew up on Waikiki Beach with a family that was all into music. His mom and dad were both performers at a young age. He grew up doing this. At age 18, for some unknown reason, he leaves Hawaii for L.A., so he, he left this paradise, and he goes to L.A., and he quickly gets a record deal. And he is on his way to stardom. In fact, he said in the interview that his goal was to be the biggest star ever. He wanted to follow in the footsteps of Michael Jackson 
and prince. In all his security, his wall was in stardom. Well, if you're in the music business or know much about it, you know that things can quickly change. And within a couple of years, a record label dropped him. At the age of 25, he was arrested for cocaine possession. Because when he ran to his tower or his wall of stardom for security, and he couldn't find it, he ran somewhere else. But you know what? It's not just drugs or, or alcohol that people might run to. When we run into something that can't bring us what we're looking for, we're going to keep running. Some people might run to anger, overworking, or maybe withdrawing from others. We didn't realize that anything besides God that we look at for our ultimate security only creates patterns of self-destruction. So that when this basic foundation, so then where does it? Where do we go? Where is this basis for a foundation of a life that is self-controlled? Well, it says in verse 10, running into the name of the Lord. So what does that mean? What does that phrase mean? Running into, running into the name of the Lord. How do we, how do we do that? Well, this phrase, running into the name of the Lord, I think it means telling your mind the truth. And I'll show you how. It means preaching the gospel to yourself over and over and over again. It means reminding yourself of who God was and what he had done. I love that Adam referenced the children of Israel. Remember all that they went through and how quickly and how easily they would forget how God had come through for them time and time again. Because you have to constantly running to him, running in the name of the Lord is preaching the gospel to yourself. It means every morning reminding yourself that you are loved by the most important person who could ever love you. The Savior, the Creator, King. I love how John Piper puts it. He says, getting alone with God and preaching His Word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. The battle for self-control, it begins in our minds. And we have to learn to take hold of the voices inside us and tell them the truth instead of listening to them. So the foundation of self-control, here's what the foundation is. It's running into the name of the Lord. And it begins with constantly reminding ourselves of the truth. Jesus being our ultimate security. No matter what the danger might be, no matter what happens, no matter the siege on our city, we can know that we are safe in Him. Because this is where a strong foundation begins. Because, you know, when I think of self-control, I think one of the best examples in Scripture has to be that great illustration of Jacob. Remember, Jacob was so in love with Rachel And he agreed to work for her father for seven years that he waited and he worked. For seven years, he he worked for Laban to win Rachel. And listen to what it says in Genesis 29, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. 
and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So for seven years he worked. But in his mind, it was only like it was just a few days. And I have to go, what makes that possible? Because of his love for her. But we have to imagine that for seven years, he had to have battles going on in his mind. I can't believe it. Two years, maybe three. He had to think, man, this is taking too long. Will she even wait for me? The hours are awful. The work, it's just too difficult. Can I even trust that he will follow through on our agreement? He is a horrible boss. So how is it able to stick with it? How was he able to endure? It's because of his love for Rachel. Because he loved her. And then all the desires in his heart and mind, you know what happened? They were mastered. And they were mastered because he was focusing on his love for Rachel. And his life was balanced. So the foundation of a self-controlled life, it begins by preaching the gospel to ourselves. It's reminding ourselves constantly of who God is and what he has done. It's getting alone with God and preaching his word into our hearts until our hearts can sing with confidence that we are new and cared for. Because self-control is found in what we love. You know, and I look at this, that it was Jacob's love for Rachel that he found self-control to be patient and to wait. Because you know what happens? Laban doesn't follow through. He has to work another seven years. But it was his love for Rachel that allowed him to have self-control. So hold on to that story because I want to look at it in our last point. So we know what the, the problem is. We don't have it or we don't have enough. It's like a city when life isn't ordered. So the foundation is set on preaching the gospel to ourselves. It's running to Jesus it's focusing on what we love. Now, let's get practical and see, how do we do this? How do we live self-controlled lives? Go all the way to Titus 2. Turn to the back of your Bible, sometimes a little hard to find. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are jealous and zealous for a good work. So training, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. So what is it? What is it that trains us? What is it that, that gets us there? Well, it's in the beginning of verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. That, that's what it connects 
back to. And this word appears, it means to make visible. So how then is the grace of God made visible? Well, it's through Jesus Christ being born and dying and being raised back to life. That's how the world, that's how the world saw grace. So I think an even better example of of self-control than Jacob, it has to be Jesus. Think about this. Jesus is the Son of God, reigning in heaven in perfect relationship within the Trinity. He has all His glory. What would cause someone to give up everything? Or what would you give a man that has everything? What prize could you possibly motivate Jesus to endure what he did? What reward could you possibly offer him to motivate him to do what he did into the endurance of enduring the cross? I mean, what didn't he already have? There's only one thing that Jesus didn't have before the cross that he had after it. Us. Do you know what that means? The reason Jesus had self-control and didn't call upon the angels to rescue him was that you were his Rachel. You were his focus. You were the one that he was looking to. So the more we begin to tell ourselves the truth that we are his Rachel. The more your life will be changed. The more you begin to reflect upon that truth, the more your passions and your desires will find the rightful place. The more you rest in that truth, the better equipped you are to handle anything that comes your way. Because the gospel, it says you are fully known fully accepted and fully loved by the most important person who could ever love you. The gospel says you are Jesus's Rachel. So the question is, have you made him yours? Is Jesus your Rachel? Because self-control, it's found in what we love. That's the only way to come about and the only way to find self-control control because that's the secret that is the key so our challenge then is to now go and to learn what that means let's pray
thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.